Do I go to too many concerts? I don't know what you consider too many, because I mean, if you're if you're into music, <laughs> then it's not, that's like saying, do you go to too many movies? If you, I mean, if, if you enjoy it, it's not really. I was just thinking the other day because I'm realizing like how many pictures I post of oh I was at this show oh I was at this show last last week I was at two shows and two nights um, my my legs were actually hurting after the second show I was like you know I'm a grown man am, am I like am, am I just acting foolish and, and seeing too many shows but I, I'm glad to hear that that you've got my back yeah no no if you can if your body can hold up and you've got the the financial means. Well, they're all smaller shows. This is the exactly. thing. Like, so I, I they're believe... going to be a lot cheaper. Right. Like, like I, I do believe that a lot of my time of seeing stadium shows and arena shows is very much behind me because the price on that has just gone through the roof. Yep. But the, the, the theater shows and the club shows, they're still reasonably priced. I mean, especially when you consider that our passion costs, you know, about $20 a shot. Mm-hmm. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to episode 302 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of the Matinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. I should be saying welcome back because you may have noticed I took a small break from the show. To make a long story short, it's been a tough winter, and after posting three epic episodes in four shows, when you add up the year-end show, the Oscar show, and episode 300... I just found myself a little burnt out. I took a little adventure, which you could look in on if you go to my Insta, and I replenished a few spoons. With the arrival of spring, I found my way back in front of my microphone. And with that in mind, there are a few people I want to sit shotgun as I get back on the road with than today's guest. He is such good people. He is so smart and someone I haven't seen nearly enough over the last few crisis-laden years, although apparently he's going to be around the corner soon. Direct from that shell, Frameline and POV. Courtney Small is here. How are you, man? Hello, I'm doing well. Thank you for the invite. Always a pleasure I, to catch up with you. I don't get people on nearly fast enough on this show. It's really something I got to work on. On episode 302, we are uh, going to be getting back into the flow of things. So we're going to keep it kind of quick and easy. Get in, get out, give you some new uh, material. Uh, and ramp ourselves back up to the full effect. So we're not going to do the other side of this episode. We're not going to do your know, know your enemy this episode, which is good because Courtney's been on a bunch. So, you know, we, we already know a lot about him and we'll get to know even more about him next time. We're just going to cut to the straight goods. We're going to talk about a film, um, a film that I'm really excited to talk about, actually, because I believe there is a lot to dig into. We're going to talk about I Like Movies. Uh, it's the new slang right after this. I Like Movies is written and directed by Chandler Levac. It stars Isaiah Lettinen, Romina Dugo, Krista Bridges, Percy Hines-White, and Eden Cupid. I Like Movies is a sentence spoken by young Lawrence Queller. That's Lettinen. And it really is his whole raison d'etre. When we find him in 2002, he's been spending his young life soaking up the typical film bro selections. Tarantino, Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, Todd Solondz. He wants to be a filmmaker with every fiber of his being which he articulates with his plans of applying to NYU Film School. Outside of watching film and noodling with films of his own, his life is mostly spent hanging out with his friend Matt, his fellow reject that he has a standing Saturday night date with to never miss SNL. In the hopes to earn enough money to go to film school, Lawrence lands himself a job at Sequels Video, a corporate video chain. Ask your parents, kids. There, his nerddom is put at odds with retail expectations, and his life is affected by his manager, Alana, who befriends him and tries as best she can to offset his passion with perspective. If you've talked to enough film nerds, you have met Lawrence. I'm reasonably sure I've met seven Lawrences over my course of my life. Lawrence is the kind of person who watches films like Happiness for Funsies and won't shut up about the genius of Stanley Kubrick. He has seen a lot of films in his 17 years, but not experienced enough of life to truly temper his passion with perspective. When we find him, he is passionate, puzzling, he's boisterous and belligerent, and the film, quite interestingly, never shines away from any of it. So pop quiz, hotshot. Where Lawrence is concerned 
is this film critical of him and his passion or is it actually empathetic to where we find him in life? That's a very good question to start off. I would say it's probably 70-30, maybe 60-40 because it is empathetic in his situation in terms of some of the things that are driving his narcissism um, or I would even say not even his narcissism, but some of the things that are driving his awkwardness and his inability to really relate to people on a human level. Um, So it it does show empathy. Um, Love actually really does care for this character Mm -hmm. at the same time. He's not a likable character. And there is a good chunk of this film that is calling out the film bros reminding many of us that at some point we were probably that film bro even for you know a a minor conversation here or there not -hmm. necessarily to his extent but it has a lot to say about the way passion and fandom can erode a person especially when you don't have a lot of life experience and i would also add that i think it's really timely for our society right now because yeah. because of social media, everyone's allowed to have a broader voice and mm-hmm. people embrace their fandom, their passion, as we've seen with like the superhero community, um, yeah. Yeah. just film bros in general, where they don't necessarily have the broad depth of knowledge when it comes to film or even just basic human interaction and how yeah. we react. Yeah, I mean... I'm actually really fascinated by this film's approach to this character because you're right. It's not, it doesn't shy away from shining a light on just how narrow his view can be sometimes. And, and, you know, part of it is just life experience. Like, I mean, he is 17. He's a 17 year old kid who just does not know right from left when it comes to the real world. Now, yes, he has had some, harsh experiences already at 17, but there is still so much more that he needs to live through to fully understand, uh, you know, how, how other people should be treated. And it's kind of, it's kind of clear that while his mother is doing the very, very best she can, there's sometimes where she's just not getting through to him either because of his wiring or, you know, some other factor. So on the one hand, the film does not want to let him off the hook. The film wants to say you Lawrence and people like you should probably take a long, hard look at the mirror. On the other hand, the film isn't what I'd call scathing. You know, like you say, when it's a 70, 30 or a 60, 40, while it is very much a critique of this kind of person, it also doesn't want to, rip them a new one and say, you know, wise up because you're making things worse for the rest of us. I think it does look into how and why he is so awkward and how and why he just can't get out of himself and try to, you know, let the rest of us see that for a lot of people, this, while, you know, you and I may have no problem walking up to a person and having a polite conversation. I mean, including to each other, right? You know, like we sat down at a table, we did not really know each other. And you just started talking to me as, Hey, how you doing? I read that comic a, lo- a little while ago and really liked it, you know, and, and off we went that there's a lot of people where that's just not how they're wired. What I think is interesting about how she frames this film is at its core, it's a comedy, you know, it's a coming of age tale and what, and, and when you watch this with a crowd, you know, I saw this with a older audience recently and they were howling, you know, okay. but at the same time, when he is being rude and belligerent, especially to like his mother and his friends, yeah. yeah. you, you feel the entire audience kind of go, Oh, that's uncalled for. And like his friend, even his good friend, Matt is calling him out going, dude, you were terrible to your mom. Yeah. You know, he's not getting all these, um, messages, but it's the, the film is constructed in such a way that you know he's unlikable, but you still want to follow his journey, you know. And and she shows that even at our worst, there there is still a chance for redemption, for at least, and not even necessarily redemption, but for growth. Yeah, and that's the one thing he's missing. Yeah, I mean it's 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 trippy because a lot of the films that that 
he loves, like things like Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction and those kinds of movies where they feature an anti-hero. There's nothing to really latch on to. You know, like I watch something now like um, I, I, by the way, folks, I, I imagine that you're going to be able to play a drinking game with the digressions in this in this episode. <laughs> we usually like to keep on topic, but because this film mentions and references so many other films, it's going to be hard. But I think of films like Raging Bull and like New York, New York, and I look at those characters and I'm like, you are deplorable. The more time goes on, the more awful you look as human beings and as men. And I have no empathy or, or sympathy for any of any character like this. But meanwhile, when it comes to somebody like Lawrence, where I'm like, you're not fully baked yet. And right now you're doing things that aren't making the world a better place. But on the one hand, like it's, I feel like it's because you don't entirely know better and you're coming with so much baggage that your friends and your teachers and your coworkers are trying to guide you through this and, you know, turn up the oven to get you a little bit more fully baked. It's, you know, it's just your own wiring that's holding you back somewhat, your experience that's holding you back somewhat and some other factors. Yeah. And, and his lack of experience really shows with even like just the basic concept, like there's a, a, a great scene in the film where he gets his first paycheck <laughs> yeah and he, and he opens it up and then he thinks that something's not quite right because yeah. he's worked sewing things and again he's trying to save up for film school and the guy has to his co-worker has to explain thing known as like taxes and yeah. how his his paycheck is actually correct but you know and it was almost like he's shocked that he's never lawrence has never learned about when you get a paycheck they're going to take out taxes and yeah. you know there's and, other and things. employment insurance and yeah exactly he's, he's like can i just have the whole money like i don't i don't want any of that can i just have the money and the rest of us are all like well yeah we'd like that too man um yeah and, and he thinks that like he's just got such a i don't even say sheltered view of the world but his own little um envision of how things should go i get the job i get the big paycheck i'm going to be working at a video store i'm going to be recommending happiness to a couple that's looking for light easygoing comedy Mm -hmm. and instead he's got to sell shrek dvds because they've got to make a certain quota of of shrek sales you know and as much as it's a very much a nostalgic period piece it also kind of reminds you of the corporate nature of you know the blockbusters jumbo videos roger for you know whatever video store was in your neck of the woods at the time especially if it was a big chain you also remember as much as you have a kind of a nostalgic um love for it there was also a corporate element that was really annoying yeah you know it wasn't this big wonderful movie haven Uh, you do i guess the best thing about a video store back then and and this was something that um channel of echo had mentioned in the q a that i saw recently and she was talking about how chains like blockbuster at least allowed for a sense of discovery Mm -hmm. so you would go to the video store and sometimes you'd be drawn to a film by a cover like i always remember discovering um zero effect which has bill pullman and ben stiller it's like a detective mystery I remember that movie yeah, yeah yeah done by jake yeah J- uh jake Hasden, i believe was the mm-hmm. the director and it was just a random hey this cover looks cool yeah let me pick it up and i'm loving that film you don't get that with the streaming services we have now because there's a too much content and then mm-hmm. the algorithm doesn't necessarily allow for easy discovery he's in his little bubble, he sees film a certain way. He's kind of discovering all these things because it's, you know, for him a dream to work at a, at a video store. But there's so much of the world and so much of cinema that he hasn't really explored yet. We like to look back on those spaces with a, with a fondness. But we forget that when you brought up your copy of um, Zero Effect or you know, clockwork orange or happiness to the counter, they would ask you, did you want to add on Twizzlers and Coke? Did you want to buy the little coupon pack that gave you a hundred dollar value for only $40 that you would never use half of much like the theater chains. 
they're they're not just in it for the love of the game. They weren't a library, right? They were there to try to squeeze you for more money. And that's the part that not only does he not like, because, you know, that's not what he's there for. He's there to watch the movies and talk about the movies. But he also just can't grasp as a job expectation. Maybe he understands the... You also have to clean the place. I think he seems to grasp that part. But the whole concept of needing to push stuff that you don't even believe in, that all of us have as part of our job, you know, no matter what you're doing, there is a part of your job that you don't want to do, but you have to do. Lawrence, because he's 17 and this is his first job ever, does not understand that end of it and seems to really struggle with that. Yeah, and it's it's funny because he also struggles with just the basics of being a teenager at at school because you know he's got his um rejects night with with matt his best friend where they you know watch snl as you mentioned and the film opens with a really amusing kind of home movie that they've made which is kind of a play on the scrooge story um and just again showing you kind of that bit of innocence but Outside of that world where I guess he's still in control because it's, you know, kind of he's orchestrating the film, he has problems just on the basics at school. So, like, he, part of his assignment is to make a school kind of yearbook video. Yeah. But because he's such an artiste, this project keeps getting delayed, delayed. And then he has problems seeing his fellow students achieve great things that he's not achieving right away. Like he always has to be front and center Mm -hmm. and he can't envision a world where he's not the focal point. Yeah. Like if you said that about a quarterback or if you said that about a prom queen, or you said that about, you know, it's certainly about a, a a child of, of means like a rich kid, you, it, it would totally click, you know, like, like somebody who is shallow and materialistic, it would make sense. But this guy is, for lack of a better term, this kid's a loser. Okay. He's got nothing going on. He's very awkward. He's loud when he needs to be, but he doesn't really have much to say. Um, he doesn't seem like he's a great student. He's certainly not rich. Um, you know, he, he's not the kind of person you would think would need to be the center of attention. And yet perhaps because he's not getting enough attention or not getting the kind, the right kind of attention um, and trying to find his way in the world, as a lot of us do at 17, he always has to A, be loud and bring it back to him and B, just knock other people down. Not just people who he doesn't care about, but especially people who care about him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting, the dynamics between him and a lot of the the female characters because he's he's horrible to his best friend matt like he really does take him for granted and there's one scene that really kind of rips your heart out um when he's giving his version of brutal honesty to matt in terms of like what he sees envisions of their future but when you actually see him interacting with his mother with um the girl at school is it lauren p i believe yep um and alana especially he it's almost like he doesn't quite see women on the same level of him in, in any part. Like Alana's the, the closest that he gets to forming in uh, a genuine bond with mm-hmm. and their relationships t- take some interesting turns, but he is still very much condescending to her. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it's, un- it's unintentional. It's almost like he's just so wired to, to dismiss the female voice. And it's kind of interesting that it's the women in the film who are constantly calling him out the most like Matt kind of puts up with it, yeah. even though he's frustrated where his mom, um, I guess Lauren P doesn't really have a big scene where she calls him out. Cause she's trying her best to be nice to him. But Alana has a couple of great moments where she really kind of puts him in his place and he still doesn't quite get it. I mean, it's funny cause Laura P actually has them. Like she could come back at him with the most, like she comes, like she's got, She's got the tools that she needs to to actually do the project. She apparently has the vision because we watch her short film later on in the film. And it's it's a lovely little piece, certainly better than a lot of the student films I saw when I was in high school. Yep. Um, and, you know, like and she can tell that he's just talking bullshit. And yet she never she she's got just too much poise too much class maybe too much sympathy for him to ever engage in an argument and she just she's like you know what you do you 
I'm going to keep doing my thing because this is where I'm pulling things together. Like she, you can see like how she, you know, she's doing well in school. She has the attention of her teachers. Um, you know, that's, that's the interesting thing is somebody who actually could bring him down a few pegs, takes the high road and just never engages. And, and a lot of us could learn something from that. Certainly Lawrence could. There is a, a scene later on where um, Lawrence does something that kind of puts his job at jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And there's a great scene where it's him, uh, Alana, and I guess their like store, a district manager. District yeah. manager. And even in that kind of situation, the district manager is trying his best not to reprimand Lawrence, where Alana's like, no, he has done X, Y, and Z. He needs to get punished. But once again, you've got the male kind of like, well, yes, he's had some rough patches, but well, let's let him let him go. And again, you have the women be like, no, stop babying him. He yeah. needs to know he's being a jerk. It's a film that's very critical, but in like the smartest ways. Uh, you know, we we didn't actually mention this part off the, in the in the middle of it all. What did you think? Like, did you enjoy this movie? Like, did you like this movie? Would you recommend this movie? What do you? What's oh your, yeah, yeah. I, your, I absolutely. Um, I I love this movie. It's uh, the it's the first time I, I watched it. I saw that TIFF, but again, it was through a screener, so you didn't get the full crowd experience. But I just yeah. had such a blast watching it. So that when I went to the Kingston Film Festival a few weeks ago. I, I had to see it again. It was like, oh, okay. I want to see it with a crowd. As I said, the crowd was, I would say, it skewed older. Mm-hmm. But it was such a fun experience watching it again with a, a proper crowd. And again, the jokes still hit. There's a lot of interesting aspects to the film and the way how it, it sets Burlington. Um, and, and for your international listeners, you know, Burlington's outside of Toronto. It's, it's like the burbs, but it's just not as... I don't know. How, how would you describe Burlington? It's, it's a it's, suburb two towns over that is your typical suburb that has strip malls and high schools and offices and not much more. There's not, and there's, it's a kind of suburb where there's not exactly an active culture. Kids from that city tend to come into Toronto on the weekends. Uh, and you know, it's a perfectly lovely town. I've got a lot of friends who I grew up with who live in that town, but it's nobody dreams of if I could just make it to Burlington. Exactly, and it's but it works for this film because you you understand his desire to to want to get out and want bigger things, but then at the same time, he almost feels like he's too big for it. Yeah, you know, and it's like you haven't earned that yet. You haven't done anything to to warrant it. And for the most part, the people there seem absolutely lovely. You know, it yeah. may not be yeah. the they're, most. They're all, yeah, they're all one. They're all like better, kind of almost better than he deserves in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. including, the, including the people who he just meets. Like his, his co-workers are all wonderful to him. His manager, Alana, who we'll talk about in a second. I mean, his mom really goes out of her way for that. His, his best, his only friend, Matt, is just fantastic with him. It's, it's that kind of like best of the suburbs um, depiction, you know, it's, it's not the kind of suburban film where everybody is much more duplicitous, um, you know, or, or much more undercutting than real life happens to be sometimes. Um, I liked this movie a lot. Um, I, you know, there's, there's a few things like technique wise, I want it to be a little bit better, but as far as where the film is coming for Levac, it's nothing that really holds it back for what the film wants to be. It's, it's, hitting on those levels. Uh, I was surprised certainly at just like, how, like we mentioned quite a bit, how dark it was at times. I didn't really expect it to go to those kinds of places and to be um, quite so rightfully uh, critical. It's kind of, a, I really hope it becomes one of these ones that gets some traction and people can see it. I hope that people like Lawrence actually, happen to watch it and maybe give a look in the mirror and decide like what kind of person, what kind of film fan they want to be. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they would recognize themselves in it or if they would kind of, I don't know, watch from, you know? from a distance and go, well, you know, that's not me. But the one thing I do like about this film is that even though it is really ingrained and entrenched in, you know, the world of, of film and, and being a cinephile, 
it's done in such a way that anyone can watch this film and identify it. You know, it doesn't necessarily, you'll, you'll know someone, as you mentioned in your intro, someone like Lawrence, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a film nerd. It could be the, the dude at your workplace who claims to know everything about everything. Like it, there's, it's, it's one of those films that you could put like any mix match of people together and they would probably all have a great time watching it and recognize a Lawrence in, in their life. We haven't talked too much about Alana yet. Alana is the, the manager at sequels and um, she's an interesting story. I mean, we watch her put forward the effort into relating to this kid and we see where it gets her. Um, we are given some insight as to how people work a job like that longer than maybe they should work a job like that. I mean, I say work, I, I say should, um, in the broadest sense, because the reality is that, you know, if we want these things to exist, people need to work them. And we can't say that it's just a job for kids. Otherwise nobody's ever going to work them and things are going to be chaos because kids are dummies. Um, let, let, let's be honest, right? Alana, both in the way that she's written on the page and the way she is personified by uh, Dugo is, I I might say, the best part of this movie. I, I would not argue with that. Um, I, I think um, Isaiah does a, a great job as Lawrence, but you need um, Dugo's performance to really not just level him off as a character, but really elevate the film. Like there, there's a couple of scenes that when I think back to this movie, I immediately go to, and they're her scenes first, Yeah, Yeah. you know, even though he is the, the focal point of the film. And it's, it's interesting because as you said, she's working this retail job that she's, you know, probably been doing a lot longer than she really should, but it also, at least watching this the second time, it really made me think about the retail space and how mm-hmm. we just kind of assume that those jobs are temporary, that people are passing through. And, you know, there's the whole argument of whether we want, we should raise minimum wage and it's just a st- stopgap. I'm not going to get into all of that, but just in terms of the type of people we associate with those jobs, we don't yeah. really think about their life, their backstory. If they're doing that job because life has kind of thrown them the only lifeline mm-hmm. at that particular job, right? We yeah. just think of it as, oh, you should be doing better. And even Lawrence um, makes a, a, a comment pretty early on to basically say like, you're, you should not be here. You should be doing more than this without knowing her, her full story. She brings depth to the film and also kind of shows you the other side of the film bro culture. Um, and it, it goes to some really interesting places. And I I just found her performance really fascinating. I don't, I don't recall seeing her in, in other works before. Judging by her IMDb, there has been stuff that I've seen that she's been in. But this was yeah, the yeah. first time where I was like, I want to see more of her. Yeah, she you looked know, familiar. As- like, I feel like I have seen her in things. Or, I mean, she's Canadian, so maybe I've just seen yeah, her around she's- town. Um I, I, I loved her in this film because there's several moments where she and Lawrence are first interacting and for a hot second, it's like, is she into him? You know, like when like she drives him home after a shift and she makes a comment of, shouldn't you go to a party? You know, something like, like it's like you're like, wait, why are you asking this kid? That, you know, like, what are you doing later kind of thing? And she's smoking in front of them and those kinds of things. And, and, and that's the thing. Like, at first you're like, what is this relationship? And why are you, why are you finding yourself going out of your way for this 17 year old kid with no charisma? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've read some really dark novels where, where things go in a very dim direction. So maybe I just had that in my head, but it's, it's all in the service of this very, very complicated part where she wants to encourage somebody who still has promise ahead of him, where she wants to, you know, she can see that it's his first job and she wants to bring out his best self for whatever the next job is. I remember, you know, you and I have both uh, interacted with um, uh, 
Matt Gamble over on, oh, you know, formerly of the third row. And how I remember one time of him talking about employees at a movie theater and how he always knew because he managed one and still manages one as far as I know, um, you know, how he always saw the kids coming in and he knew he only had them for a few months or maybe a year or two at most, how he wanted to just hope that he could bring out the best in them and provide a decent enough experience for the clientele. That is what's in Alana's head as a manager. You know, she's got like her or the rest of her staff is grownups. But when she sees a kid come through, she's like, well, maybe I can do some good. Maybe if I'm not in this world right now to do something really, really meaningful and I'm doing a retail job that is noble, but does not have any kind of lasting impression, maybe I can have an impression on the people around me. So watching Dugo, you know, go through these kinds of parts of it, like the the, the subtler parts, is really, really wonderful um, leading up to kind of her big one. She's got two big showcase moments in this. Um, and one of them is when she really articulates to um, Lawrence how she got here. And it's an incredible piece of acting. Early on, I think she realizes that there's a lot of toxicity here mm-hmm. <laughs> that we could easily release the valve and get that to wash away if you know, we get him to go to a party or, you know, hey, don't wake your mom up at whatever time. Like, you know, try and be a little more considerate. Try and be a little more. Share the space. Um, yeah. Share the space. Be, be aware of the others, whether it be your coworkers, friends, whatever. And she tries. And throughout a good portion of this film, she tries. But then you slowly start to see her getting to her breaking point, you know, mm-hmm. and even when like an incident happens and he's having a bit of a panic attack, you know, and the mother's coming in, she's like, okay, he's too old now to be having his mother come in and, you know, fight his battles. And yeah. you can slowly start to see the, the, the rage build in her. And yet throughout everything that happens, she still ends up giving him some of the most important advice about basic human interaction yeah yeah ask questions wait and actually listen to answers that will profoundly change his life Mm -hmm. you know and he doesn't even realize it until later on and it's just it's such a well-written character um she never feels like the manic pixie girl or the the ideal dream that you would see in other films you know like she there's times where you they kind of hint of that Lawrence might have a thing for her, but it's never like the focal point of the film. Like it is in other teen teen films. And I, and I really like that. Like she felt like a, a a proper character, a proper, that the entire world for the most part felt like regular human beings, even the quote unquote oddballs at the, the sequel store that he works with are not (laughs) really that odd. (laughs) No, I've met those people, you know, they're, they're they're a little weird, but they're weird in the great ways. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the things I really liked about this film is that all the characters, even the teachers, they all, you know, they felt like real people. Like I didn't watch this thinking, Oh, I'm seeing a stylized film about a a childhood that none of us have, have lived. Yeah. There's no tropes. Yeah. You know, they, they, these, all, these are all felt like very lived in people. I mean, it's, it's entirely possible that a lot of that came down to, um, the great work done by the casting. Like nobody in this movie is really glamorous. Some of the most indie and arty films, it's like, I'm still watching Brendan Fraser. You know, I know what he looks like under that suit, you know, or as much as I absolutely bloody full throat adore everything everywhere all at once. I know how glamorous Michelle Yeoh is. I know how glamorous Stephanie Sue is. You know what I'm saying? Like once you, once you get them back into their day to day, they, they are, they're very, very pristine, wonderful people who have all kinds of human complexities in them that they are then bringing to their art. But I think maybe there is something a little bit more to a film like this when everybody looks like they could be behind you in line at Starbucks. Alana is the only person who kind of looks sort of glam 
in this movie. And even she, again, I feel like I've recognized her because I've seen her around town. The way how the costumes are for most of this film, you know, it's it's a period piece, but yet it's still, it, it feels lived in. You know, yeah. there's nothing the, the really worn in. Like I think about Matt wearing that Nirvana t-shirt and I was like, that is not a Nirvana t-shirt that somebody just got from Hot Topic. That is somebody's Nirvana t-shirt because that thing looks worn in as can be. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. or I mean, or, or, or a stylist on this movie is really good. And that is probably part of it. While the tools of filmmaking are getting better and better, this movie is not exactly what I'd call pristine in its look. That's probably by design. Like it probably wanted to mimic those early aughts indie movies, like right down to its square crop. So it wants to go with this kind of scummier veneer to it. It doesn't want to be shot on a red, for instance. Um, and it wants its world to look really lived in and it wants its things to look really lived in. So achieving that in terms of the craft is is its own achievement because it's not like it doesn't look trashy because nobody knows better. It looks trashy by design. It kind of does. So thinking back to it, like I'm like, this could easily have been you could put this in like the the canon of like 90s movies or 1999 yeah. and be like, yeah, it'd, be, it'd feel perfect right then as well. I mean, like, he, it just has that kind of little, timeless feel. Yeah, he assembles a little staff pick shelf of uh you know like exotica and last night and uh you know brand upon the brain and i'm like this movie would totally make sense with all of those other movies okay we are we are of a certain age now uh do you ever feel like a film attaches it to yourself through nostalgia and is this film trying to do that i don't think this film is trying to attach itself through nostalgia i think okay nostalgia is an important aspect of it uh, of its structure but i i really don't feel like this one is simply a we grew up with blockbusters and whatever else video stores so we understand this experience like i feel like this one cruisers and burning cds and exactly you know i used to have i was actually thinking about this just the other day like i used to have um, the VHS tapes and yeah. had like one of those like spinning racks. Oh, I had that. Yeah. It was, they're super heavy. It was yeah, like, I know. <laughs> super heavy. And I think they fit like 40. So I think I had like two yeah. of those racks and whatnot. And I remember getting like They certain, looked great though. They, they, they looked, looked super wonderful. Stylish. Yeah. I understand. I see people with all their like walls of, of DVDs and whatnot, but there was something about that spinning rack. And then yeah. so people would come by and they would have to actually turn to see what's in your collection and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It was it was nice. But again, watching this film, there are gonna be people who were going that knew nothing about the VHS generation that will still feel a fondness for this movie. I think there's a lot of movies today, I would even argue there's a lot of big budget movies that are banking on nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love Top Gun Maverick, there's a good portion of that film that yeah. the stuff I hated about Top Gun Maverick were all the moments where it was really like, Hey, nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. Um, <laughs> but I feel like this one, it, it, it just felt serviceable for the setting, but it didn't feel like Levesque was trying to rope me in with like, Oh, don't you remember the good old days? It was like, no, the, you know, there was some great aspects of those days, but then there was those days also helped create some of the toxicity that we have today. One of the names that comes up in this movie is Quentin Tarantino. And I, I haven't liked one of his movies in a while. Um, and, and the last one that he made, I really didn't like because I felt like so much of once upon a time in Hollywood was, this fixation with Los Angeles in the late sixties and weren't the cars cool and weren't the stores cool and weren't the cigarettes cool. And the song, and I'm like, you're just making a three hour love letter to your community when you were younger. And you know, you're, you're, you don't have a relationship with your editor where they can tamp it down to an, an average length where nostalgia can temper the story rather than be the story. Um, it's it's been an interesting thing for me getting older and starting to see the stuff that we grew up with now kind of getting played upon whether it's you know songs getting remade or movies getting sequel or you know lord knows my niece wearing stuff that 
girls who I went to high school with wore that kind of thing. Um, and I, th- yeah, you're right. For me, this film, while, while it's interesting being of the age where nostalgia is starting to be directed at me um, and sometimes working, um, I don't feel like this movie is trying to do that. Like, I don't ever think that the nostalgia is really played for winks and laughs. Like they get done with that really quick when they're done with like, talking about big shiny tunes for uh you know which any american listening to this is gonna have no idea what that is um but it was awesome and (laughs) that's the thing so i think that while like those little elements like um the devices that they use to rewind the videotapes and the clothes um you know those kinds of things and even just tapes themselves well it's part of this movie and and it's definitely uh, woven into the fabric of the film. I, you're right. I don't think it's ever it ever goes so far that it becomes all that this movie is about. Yeah, and if you if you really think about it, partly because of the pandemic, um, we recently what do we have? We had the Fablements come out. Spielberg looking back at his life and mm-hmm. his love of cinema. Um, Empire of Light, which I absolutely hated. Again, still haven't that seen kind it. of uh, it just. Uh, I'll wait till you watch, but I okay. I did not like that movie. But again, that kind of nostalgic look, um, Armageddon Time, which isn't really about cinema, but again, it's that kind of like, don't you remember the what was I think it was the eighties or early nineties, and mm-hmm. oh, what a time it was to be a kid. Again, another movie I absolutely hated because you have a lot of these filmmakers that are kind of dipping into the nostalgia, making themselves feel better. I think yeah. the Fablemans works. I think I like movies works and I don't think it's tr- just After making... Sun, we could talk about in that same sort of realm, you know, like that, yeah, that yeah. look back at a younger self that is of the late nineties kind of time, you know, even one of the devices, the actual, uh, you know, mini DV camcorder, which makes an appearance in this movie too. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's how you decide to look back, you know, filmmakers like Levesque, like Charlotte Wells, they are looking back with purpose rather than looking back just for the sake of looking back, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it, again, in, in both of those cases, both After Sun and I Like Movies, these stories feel fully realized, not because of, simply because of the error that they're set in. Yeah. You know, it's it's really about the characters, their interactions, the emotions that you get from those films, whereas in Empire of Lights, Armageddon, Empire of Lights uses cinema as a way to kind of look back fondly on the power of movies, but then it's also talking about race in the UK, but it doesn't really seem to understand race in the UK in that time, but it loves the movies. Even I would even argue Babylon. by a white person from this time, you know, uh, <laughs> like well, possibly, but again, <laughs> even Babylon as, as wild and zany is that's another one I didn't care for. And I know it, some people love it, Yeah, but when you get to the end of Babylon and it has that great aren't movies, wonderful moment, yeah, you go okay. Yeah, movies are wonderful, but your character who's looking fondly on this industry is looking fondly on an industry that essentially will shut him and other people like him out. Mm-hmm. The, the closest they can do is be a security guard. And hey, isn't it great that you're a security guard at a movie studio? Like yeah. you know, you completely miss a good chunk of the the emotion, the the history. Yeah. You know, that's associated with it. Whereas a film like this understands the era, understands the love for the blockbuster generation, but also the problems yeah. that came with it and that we're still dealing with today. Yeah. I mean, that's that was actually it's funny because you're jumping to what was going to actually be my final point is what I really appreciate most about this movie is that it is a love letter to movie nerddom without actually being a love letter. Like it is a it yep. is a portrait of somebody who's very complicated and who is having a negative effect on the people around him but who the movie seems to have hope for you know the movie wants to say i even though i I, we're in an age where we are burning a lot of these people down and let me be clear rightfully so there are some souls that i still want to Safe. There are some people who I still think, you know, you were, you just needed a little more time and a little more perspective, and somebody to to act, to to tell you the right thing, like Alana does with Lawrence, and say, you know, 
ask about other people. Don't just start talking about yourself. Ask about them and listen to what they have to say. Don't just wait for your turn to talk. That is the most important thing. And that is one of those things that I have just espoused over and over and over over the last several years that listening is not just about waiting your turn. It really is about taking what that person said, you know, like these conversations that we have that we've been having for that I've been having for 300 episodes and you've been having for hundreds of episodes of your own shows, plural. That's, that's the key to being a good person. It's getting beyond just this thing that you love and actually sharing it with somebody else, not just telling them why you love it. Yeah, exactly. And it's not about convincing them why your team is the right and only team. Like, yeah. you know, you, you've got to understand, it, especially something like the world of, of film. And I, I won't get on a, a diatribe, but I was listening to A.O. Scott um, on the Daily Podcast today talking about why he's leaving film criticism and he's going to be doing book reviews for the for the New York Times. Wasn't he uh, fired? No. Well, according to his version of events, he's still with the Times, but he's just okay. going to be doing book reviews. Okay. I'm, I'm um, a little out of the loop. I thought he was fired. Please go on. Yeah, okay. to know, yeah, yeah no, no. A.O. Scott, as far as I know, is, is one leaving of the Leaving of his own accord. Okay. Yeah, hasn't done anything. But it was just, he was just talking more about the nature of, of film and, and streaming, but also mm-hmm. the nature of, of fan culture mm-hmm. and how a lot of fan culture and the commodity of cinema, the, the corporate side of cinema sure. have kind of melded. And, yeah. you know, there's not that sense of discovery. You know, there's people aren't talking about films that challenge them anymore. They just mm-hmm. kind of talking about the next superhero franchise film. And in a, in some ways it had me thinking about just our culture right now, you know, with, with social media, with, everyone going to their own individual newspaper sites to get news, people just want to um, regurgitate what they've read that they agree with. Yeah, they, they want to be really, reinforced. Exactly. They don't really want to have the uncomfortable conversations. They just like to spout X, and then if you challenge or you say, well, what about this? They either call you a name or they completely just shut you out, block you, what have you, and they go in their own little bubble. And in this film you see Alana basically telling Lawrence like, no, you can't, you will never, you will never survive this way. You will become the worst of yourself. If you do not take time to learn about other people, Mm -hmm. it's the easiest thing to do. Just take a few moments to learn about, open your mind just a little bit about something that you're not quite familiar with. Don't act as if you're the expert on everything. And it's just, it's a really interesting message for a film that uses humor um, to weave its way through the toxicity of, of film culture while at the same time going, but the movies themselves are great and they can oh, yeah. bring out the best of people yeah. and they can inspire. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really unique position to take. Um, it, it ultimately is what I'm going to appreciate about this movie the most is that it would be really, really easy just to create a piece that says, movie fan toxicity is bad or to say, you know, men who are unempathetic and are fully above themselves are bad. By the way, both of those fully agree. That is only though going to court the blowback. And instead what Levac does with this is she says what they love is lovely. What they like this art form that we talk about and we gather together to enjoy is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's still, you know, one of the youngest art forms of all of them and it can inspire, uh, you know, that there, there are still more stories to be told and that some of these people who seem to us to be detrimental, you know, are not beyond redemption, not beyond saving, not beyond helping, you know, and that's, that is, I think ultimately what I'm going to take away from this movie is that, um, you know, like you said, rather than going off into our own little silo and reading our news and getting the talking point for that we can repeat when we get into the next argument and putting that arrow into our quiver, just waiting for that other person to bring up the point that maybe we're better off listening to what the other person has to say and learning from it and becoming a better person and sharing 
this art, whether it's, you know, whether it's the kind of art we love or the kind of art we don't, if somebody wants to come onto my show and talk about how once upon a time in Hollywood is a masterpiece, I am more than happy for them to come on and listen, you know, they might not change my mind, but I want to hear what they have to say. Cause maybe I missed something. Yeah. That, that is ultimately the takeaway of this really lovely little movie. We end every, uh, film review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir or something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would, uh, Courtney small, what would be your souvenir from? I like movies. Um, so this is going to be an odd one, but for me, the, the scene I think back to the most is the scene where Alana is telling a bit more about why she doesn't like movies and how it relates to her past. Mm. Um, the story that leads her to kind of what brought her to this sequels yeah. store. And part of it is the framing of it because you have Lawrence kind of sitting goofily on the floor and she's like, no, you don't really need to sit down for this. But also because he's sitting on the floor and she, where she's standing, she's standing in between two racks of videos. It's almost like she's on stage or on the screen. It's almost like yeah. he's watching a movie. And as she's telling this story and the performance is so vibrant that both times I've watched it, my mind just instantly went and kind of envisioned all the stuff that she was saying. So it was almost like I was watching a movie, mm-hmm. you know, creating my own movie as she's just standing there telling this story. And I don't know why, but for some reason that has got me both times that I mm-hmm. saw that film. So that's the kind of one takeaway. I know it's for a film that's, very funny, you know. That story is not necessarily a funny story, but it's no, but a, I, I, it's it's a it's it's, such a. I think it's what makes moment. the movie. Yeah, I th- I really think that that whole scene, that whole plot detail, which we will not give away, um, is what is a key part of what makes this movie work. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, I mean, I, I've got the opposite end. For me, it's it's a throwaway moment that reminded me of something else. Um, I, I was, I was talking about, uh, this week talking about 30 rock and how in the premiere of 30 rock, there's a great joke by Tracy Lawrence, um, where he go, he meets Liz lemon for the first time. They're sitting at a bar and he says, I'll have an apple juice. And the, the waitress is like, we don't do that. He goes, okay, I'll have a vodka tonic. Um, the, the reverse of that is in this movie where they go to the movies and, uh, Lawrence is like, can I have like a single shot espresso and the counter person at Cineplex is like, we don't do that. And he's like, okay, I'll have a root beer. You know, just that, <laughs> yeah. that hard swing from one thing to the other. It doesn't ask for a coffee or a tea, just goes straight to something dumb. I just love that, that, that kind of, you know, hard on one side, hard on the other side joke. I love it. And it plays so well here. Um, we end every, uh, Matt Nacast with um, a rating on a scale of one, four stars, Courtney small. What, uh, what are you thinking for uh, Chandler Levesque's I like movies? Um, I, I have to go with four for this one because wow. the first time I saw it, it was, it was a solid three. Okay. I um, really enjoyed it. But again, it was that second time, you know, loving it just as much as the first yeah. and just kind of seeing other people love it the way I loved it. I was like, you know, that's, it's for me, it's a, it's a solid four. That's, I mean, I can, I can totally see that. I'm, it's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm where you are right now. I'm on a three. I'm like not even 24 hours into this being a part of my life, but, uh, but really enjoying it and really still thinking about it uh, a lot more as, as you've, you know, brought a lot of points to my brain. Um, you know, so I'm still on a three, but like ask me again after I watch it again and in a few weeks and I might be up to a four. I like, I think both of us, like we highly recommend this movie, track it down yeah. wherever you are. It's going to be the kind of thing that makes the rounds very quickly because uh, it's a smaller movie and it, and it, you know, it's not being precious about itself the way like some of the bigger movies really need to squeeze their money. Right. Then the smaller movies, they want to be seen. So they tend to bubble up a little bit faster while you used to have to go to places like sequels and blockbuster and you know, those yeah. kinds of places. Now you can find them. So do find Chandler Levesque's, um, I like movies. We're not going to do a full other side, but what were some of the movies that, I mean, there's a lot obviously that come to mind, but what were some of the movies that come to mind when you think about, uh, I like movies that could work well as a good companion piece. So this one was interesting because cinema has a wealth of, of teen movies and movies about social outcasts or people that are socially awkward. But, um, I had three that, came to mind. Uh, the first is actually Booksmart. Um, <laughs> Olivia Wilde's, you know, coming of age comedy. Uh, 
And the reason why I was thinking about Booksmart, it was, I think it was the, the character, was it Molly, the Feldstein character, where she's oh, right. the the kind of Tracy Flick of the school, the I know everything. And then slowly over the course of the film, she realizes that she's not necessarily as special as she thinks she is. She's not the 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 one who's going to, quote unquote, be better than everyone, kind of like Lawrence. So she's not the one that- who's escaping. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I think back to that great scene in the bathroom where she's basically saying, like, I'm going to whatever Ivy League school. And the rest of the people are like, yeah, so, yeah, we're going to Ivy League schools as well. And she's like, but you're, you're stoner. You're, you know, the kid that's always partnered. Like, yeah, but we also do our work. We study yeah. kind of thing. So I think I think that would be a, a good companion piece. Um, Lady Bird, uh, that was another one that, that popped to mind again someone wanting to leave their their hometown feeling that there's a a better world out there for them but also not quite understanding how you have to get there and that you need the people in your town to help lift you like you know as i say they they takes a village and the last one which might be obvious um rushmore (laughs) comes to mind but rushmore is kind of like the the opposite end of things like you know how i was saying about how like alana is not necessarily the the focal point for desire whereas in yeah, rushmore yeah. she would be um and right, rushmore right. the the thing with rushmore i was thinking about in comparison with this film is that you know max is essentially a character who's coming from like a, a middle class family yeah but yet his look his attitude makes him seem like he again is the smartest person, the best person. I'm great at every club I'm in. And again, it it's part of it's that you don't really know how to interact with people. Yeah. You don't know how to treat people on your level. So those were the the three that I would recommend as companions to it. I mean, one it's funny because one that you make me think of when you bring up Lady Bird is I also think of Francis Ha and how um, you know, in that movie, Francis goes to like throws a whole bunch of money at going to Paris, but then doesn't actually experience a whole lot of going to Paris. You know, she just knows that she wants to go and go on a whim and hang out with her friends and just like throws herself into it, but then doesn't actually do it. It's a lot like for all the talk that we hear about Lawrence in this movie about being a filmmaker. We don't really see anything of his film, you know, like he, Mm -hmm. he, we never hardly ever seen with a camera in his hand or making movies. We see that one dorky video that he makes off the top where they talk about reject night, um, but we, you know, for, for how much he wants to be a filmmaker, we don't see him actually being a filmmaker, you know, in an, in yeah. an age where the tools were starting to come to him. Um, Francis Ha, same sort of thing. Like she just wants to, she's so consumed, wanted to be a grown up the same way that Lady Bird is in that movie that she doesn't actually entirely know how to be a grown up. I, so the two that came to my brain are actually both um, documentaries and both have to do with um, films about film. The first one is a documentary from about 04 thereabouts. I think actually they're both from around the same time. And my first one is called Cinemaniacs, which was this look at film lovers in New York City uh, around the turn of the century and how they just run themselves ragged from pillar to post catching all of these screenings around New York city and just really all they do is eat, breathe and sleep film, you know, like every single day they're seeing two, three, sometimes four screenings, like how we are during a festival is just their life. And what I love about that movie is you know, it's a, it's a mild spoiler, but when it gets to the end, the end of this movie is showing the film to the people in the film and they just applaud and they love it. Like they, they have not <laughs> had any hard, cold look in the mirror. They're just like, yep, that's it. That's us. Awesome. Yeah. And you're just like, oh boy. So <laughs> Cinemaniacs, I mean, I watched that movie and I felt a lot better about myself. Um, <laughs> the other one that I thought about, which really seems to encompass the kind of person Lawrence is, is I thought about that documentary overnight about the director of the Boondock Saints. It's about Troy Duffy, who was, I I don't think he ever made a whole lot else uh, beyond Boondock Saints. He certainly never had the kind of career that he seemed to think he was poised to have, but he 
gets this big deal coming out of a film festival. He's in good with Miramax and in good with Harvey Weinstein. And before he's done anything, he's just so full of himself that he basically destroys his own career before it's even started. And I think about that movie because I think that if he's left to his own devices, that's who Lawrence would become. He would become the kind of person whose entire opportunity within the film world would be finished before it even began. You know, he'd be the kind of person who would talk the way he talks to the wrong person and immediately get blackballed. And if he hadn't met people like Alana and people like Matt and even like Alana P who help, you know, guide him to be a better person that he would end up being a lot more like Troy Duffy and become this incredibly entitled, like he's already entitled, but become this incredibly entitled auteur who thought he deserved something because he could spout the great movies. Mm, that sounds interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when you were telling that story, it was making me think about um, Josh Trank. Who yeah. Yeah. Had, who had Very Chronicle. Yep. Who then was supposed to go to, I think it was, he was supposed to do Star Wars. And then yep. while, while he was making that, he was also doing Fantastic Four. And there was just a lot of reports of the ego yep. kind of ruining things and not really yeah and then you know, and then it, earning his his stuff yeah yeah and you know like th- those you know max landis colin trevorrow all of those people who had just enough cred to get in the door but once they were in the door they were you know knocking over bottles and spilling the soup and laughing too loud and it's like okay come on act like you've been here before and, and that's the thing is that a yeah. person like lawrence can be kind of that kind of person if they're not kept in check. Definitely check out that movie because it is incredible to watch somebody flame out so fast in real time. That is episode 302 of the matinee cast. I'm really happy that everybody came back uh, and let me get back on track. Um, And I'm very, very thankful that Courtney Small was able to come and join me. Come on back on Monday, April 10th for episode 303. Not sure what we're going to talk about yet. Maybe we'll talk about Brothers. Maybe we'll go back a little bit and talk about Skinamarink. It's spring, so releases are kind of wild right now. And I love looking for the good titles. If you have a suggestion, please let me know. Um, Courtney is all over the place. Uh, you got anything coming up that you want to plug? Yeah. So I guess after this goes up, I should have a review on that shelf for a thousand and one. Um, it was the, it won the, was it the grand jury drama prize at Sundance oh, this year? Cool. Um, Tiana Taylor stars in it as a single mother. Who's trying to raise her six year old son in a New York. That's becoming rapidly gentrified oh sounds good um, so, so that's gonna be interesting i have a piece for pov magazine coming out for their hot dogs issue but i can't talk about it yet because <laughs> the film is playing hot dogs but hasn't been announced so ah, okay keep okay. an Mysterious. eye out for for we'll do. the next issue of pov magazine and if people want to follow you on the socials uh where, where's best to follow you um twitter uh whatever left is left of twitter um i'm at small mind um and also on the the new site that's being tried out called spoutable oh um so i'm on at small mind there as well it's 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 very much a twitter like platform gotcha just without the hate and for now so far for now we'll see for now we'll see (laughs) yeah my site is thematinee.ca. Uh, you can find back episodes of the show by going there. You can also find them on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google, uh, Stitcher Radio, Apple, lots of other places. Tune in, Radio Public, CastBox, Podchaser. If there's something that you use for podcasts that I have not mentioned or you found out about something new, uh, please let me know. I'd always love to add my show to a new uh, platform, give you handy ways to subscribe for free, and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on I Like Movies can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca. Uh, where social is concerned i am still a sort of on twitter matinee underscore ca um instagram if you follow me there uh, i am also matinee underscore ca and there's still facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts mr small no it's it was a pleasure as always chatting with you and thank you for the invite keeping it brisk i think this might be our shortest episode not counting our little film festival uh, postcards Uh, so we're we're able to get you out of here with enough time to see whatever's going on in the game say hi to your kids spend some time with the wife and you know get a decent night's sleep before work tomorrow 
about that? Or time to pop in a movie and uh, well, through all those I, other things. I, I, I like to think that you are the grown up in the room. I know what I'm doing, but I'm like, no, yes. Courtney, Courtney's yes. like, he's got responsibilities. You know? I really do. I, I do. But <laughs> as a person with responsibilities, sometimes you make that horrible decision. You make but choices. I got it. You know what? It. I'm going to, I might do the sensible thing and uh, just take it easy for the rest of the night. Smart man. For Courtney, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.